Welcome to another episode of uh, Rank It, Bitch, which we do. <laughs> I don't think that's our title. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. I mean, I guess it's just Rank It, but... Brought uh, to you by Carnivorous Couch. Yeah. Brought to you by the letter bitch. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> um, so anyway, hopefully everything's going to be fine. We're going to listen to stuff and everything's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brady, why don't you explain what we're doing, because I'm trying to produce. And okay, uh, welcome to Rank It, Sans Bitch. Uh, it is May, it's Cinco de Mayo, happy Cinco de Mayo. And free comic book day. Sure, and, um, well, it is, I, I, I believe you. Um, it's May, and, uh, we're counting down the top films of 2017, which ended five months ago. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, yeah, we're going to do our top 15. I pressured these guys into a top 15 instead of a top 10. Cause... Oh, I did 10. Oh, man. So it's just going to be me and you for like five No, entries. no, no. Rob, Rob's just going to throw five more on there. Oh, okay. I thought you were joking. No. I thought you were he telling me that. Being I thought you were serious. telling me that because you wanted me to not be happy about that. I and mean. And then you were just kidding. That being true doesn't... Um... Uh. All right, fine. Uh, well, you guys go oh, yeah, with well, 15 then. Or no. Okay, yeah. Who wants to start? Who's the top of the order? One of you two. Obviously, I got to write my whole list yeah, over again. Yeah, um, you, you go and then I'll go. Okay. Um, my number 15 of the year is A Ghost Story. Uh, it's David Lowry's uh, little indie film starring Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara about a, a man who dies and becomes a ghost and uh, haunts his house where his um, wife lives. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, we watched it together, Tess and I. And, uh, yeah, I found it really moving. Um, I'm taking these headphones off. I don't like hearing myself. I found it very moving and, uh, yeah, had a, a sneaky emotional effect. Uh, it's got a beautiful score, one of the best scores of the year. And uh, some really good physical acting from Casey Affleck, who's entirely donned in a, a sheet. It's like a very goofy version of a ghost, like a child would dress up for Halloween, uh, which kind of is the thing that makes it look ridiculous. But I think the movie's power is that it's taking such a simple depiction of a ghost, and yet it's a such a well-observed, moving kind of haunted house story and it, it's kind of a movie about what it would be like to die and the fact that you know life doesn't last so it's it's a very moving story about the impermanence of life and yeah i found it very spellbinding so a ghost story my number 15 um i want to add about that uh him wearing the sheet um they did a lot of kind of like uh changes to the the way that the facial features of the like it was just eyes, but they right. would like cut the eyes differently or give them like you know a different kind of shade to them, depending on what the ghost's mood was. Um, it was also a really cool looking sheet, like it was it really was. long 
and just kind of had all of these like pleats and folds and stuff. Yeah, uh, that, that was, was cool. the best part of the movie for me. Is like, oh, he's just a sheet ghost. Yeah, cool. no, a, a very communicative sheet ghost at that. For he doesn't say anything, but the body language is like very powerful. But then, like you know, you were saying, I think that that's like the physical acting from Casey Affleck, but also it's Casey, right? Yeah, Casey. Um, but also they they would modify this sheet to to indicate his emotion as well and that wasn't you know something he would was doing <laughs> sure yeah at, at the headphones it's it's like an echo and i can't yeah, no, it's no. like i like talking really slow because it's tripping me up yeah that's yeah, gotta like, go it's like a shut up gun it's, it's a, shut up a shut gun. up gun yeah the shut up <laughs> gun i love that um Okay, well, my 15 um, is Call Me By Your Name. Um, it's, you know, as Brady has said often about this film, it's very lush and pretty, and it makes you want to go to um, to Italy. Yeah, unfortunately, that won't be <laughs> anywhere on my list because it didn't make my, uh, my, my list of movies to choose from. <laughs> it just, it barely made mine. No, I just forgot that I saw it, so I didn't consider it. You know, that movie just makes you want to drink a glass of, of fresh-squeezed apricot juice. It really, it does. All right, Rob, what's your 15? Uh, a ghost story, because I had to pick something real quick. Well, you can pick Call Me By Your Name also. Yeah, it's too late. I've already <laughs> written it all down. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm a pretty disingenuous top-ranking list maker anyway. So, yeah, ghost story. It was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all watched that together, actually. Yeah. Huh? So that was nice being together. Yes. Casey Affleck. And of course, there's the whole issue of that. <laughs> of what? Nothing. The... I'm just just Brady leaning in and out from his mic. <laughs> oh. oh, pop. Well, all right. Uh, anything to say about a ghost story? Uh, it was good. I agree. <laughs> My number 15. Okay. 14. Um, and I love picking out like little patterns in the year. Like, oh, like what's stuff that comes up a lot? Like, you know, I remember back in 2013, like every other movie seemed to be about the American dream. Um, <laughs> and this isn't going to be like a huge running theme. In fact, I think it's just two. But back to back, I got another ghost story at number 14. It's Personal Shopper, uh, the movie starring Kristen Stewart by French director Olivier Assias. And uh, yeah, it's about a woman, a young woman who is a personal shopper for a celebrity in Paris and her brother has just died. Uh, they're both mediums, so they, you know, communicate with the spirit world and she's basically hanging around Paris doing this job she hates cuz she promised her brother that whichever them of them died first, the other would stick around to see if their spirit made contact. And so uh, it's a very spooky, kind of atmospheric, spare character study of this woman doing this kind of bullshit job and also kind of processing her grief. Uh, yeah, it's hard to describe, but Kristen Stewart gives a really, really strong performance in it. And yeah, it's a, just a really good movie about kind of what grief feels like, I guess. It's very good about capturing this kind of haunted mood. And yeah, I recommend it highly personal shopper 
Um, I almost watched that last week. You should have. Well, <laughs> I was at work and I had to, you know, work. Yeah, it's I, tough I started to watch, to watch it and I was like, ah, oh, this is one I actually have to look at. Yeah. <laughs> well, most movies, you know, they move. So it, you're. It's yeah, I believe you were thinking of an album. To, uh, to watch them with your eyes. Yeah, I know. But I mean, I have to watch like 15 different TVs and it's just one more of them. <laughs> Rob's number six, episode 200 of Mom. Rob watches Mom at work. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, that's true. With I do have to watch that. Yeah. That, that <laughs> episode 200. Oh, God, are there that many episodes? Uh, is it in probably. season nine? It's a sitcom. <laughs> there's a lot of episodes. Lord. Well, there's a lot of story to tell. Anyway, Tess, what's oh, your boy. number 14? Uh, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri um, is my number 14. Um I, I don't know. There's not a whole lot to say about it for me. Um, it did make my list, but there wasn't that much to choose from. Um, <laughs> so, what an endorsement. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I, li- I liked the movie. Um, I found it enjoyable. I really liked Sam Rockwell's performance a lot. Um, yeah, really good. Everybody likes What's-Her-Name. <laughs> um, no, really, I'm blanking. What's Francis, her name? Francis tell McDormand. Tell it like it is McDormand. Yeah. Um, you know, also just, yeah, good, good performances. Um, you know, I think I'm not really sure what it was saying <laughs> and it seemed to feel like it was saying a lot and I'm not, I don't really know if it was, but like something anger, forgiveness. Yeah. Something like that. I'm not, I, I don't really know, but anyway, yeah, it was, it was good. Solid. I enjoyed it. And that there we go. That's my number 14. All right. My number 14 is Dunkirk, which was really cool. It was a Christopher Nolan movie where uh, where uh-huh. nobody's really a Christopher Nolan oh, yeah. movie where no one is uh, really a, you know, uh, real uh, central character. And uh, it's all about the uh, evacuation uh, by... Citizen boats and it was really well shot. And it was in seventy millimeter, which was cool to see. I mean, most of it was. Some of it was like in these kind of tighter spaces, and they used uh, a less big film stock than that. But less yeah, big. I, I I liked it. It was good. Dunkirk, very good. Dunkirk. All right, my number thirteen. We're on thirteen now. Uh, it is what I like to say is the best Netflix original movie. Uh, made to this time, and that is Mudbound. Uh, director D. Reese. Uh, she's a, a young black woman uh, with immense promise. Uh, she made a movie called Pariah that I need to see. Uh, but this is Mudbound. It's the story of uh, two families of sharecroppers, one white family, one black family in 1940s Mississippi. And it's really kind of this very lush, epic, uh, historical story of these two families. Uh, that also becomes a really, really good, like stinging, insightful commentary on uh, racism. Uh, but like, so that's all really strong. And the reason to see it is just it's the most phenomenally acted thing. Like, I think it might be the best ensemble of. Well, let's see. It's definitely one of the best ensembles of the year. Uh, Garrett Headland, who I hated in the Tron movies because I hated 
the Tron remake, um, is yeah. phenomenal in this. Uh, Jason Mitchell, who played Easy E and Straight Out of Compton, is amazing. Uh, both of them would have made my supporting actor ballot for this year. Uh, yeah, no, it's just like an incredibly rich. Like when we use the word rich with film, this is like textbook example of just strong character, epic filmmaking, beautiful cinematography, a really, really good score. And yeah, it's just like a, an overwhelming uh, experience uh, with with phenomenal acting and uh, really interesting things to say about uh, the race problem. Yeah, in available America. now on Mud, on uh, Netflix. Yeah, Netflix Mudflix. Mudflix. <laughs> For all your muddy movies. Yes. Yeah, 13 Mudbound. Great. Go see it. Uh, uh, I think it's Tess's turn next. Number Tess's 13, 13 is Lost City of Z. Or Zed. I'm not sure how Depends if you're, you're Canadian. supposed to pronounce that. Ooh, um, Zed, eh? Uh, I, yeah, that was... I mean, it was uh, it was a really really interesting story and one that you know I wasn't really familiar with before I saw the movie and then um was confused by the ending and then you know Brady told me oh well that's those are real guys and they actually did this and got lost in the in the Amazon so uh so no one really knows how it ended and that's why the ending was that way <laughs> Um, and I, the, the, the only thing about it that I didn't really care for was, it was in fact that, that ending like left me kind of feeling a little weird, but, Ooh, I loved the um, ending. really, really interesting kind of, I'm not sure what you would call it a travelogue story. Like what, <laughs> what kind of movie was that? Um, a road picture? A ro- uh, I don't think yeah. they have roads. <laughs> no roads. <laughs> it's like a beyond the road picture. Yeah, yeah. A, a story of epic discovery. So like a, a sequel to a Cormac McCarthy book? Maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a beyond the road. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I found it really engaging. Um, and I enjoyed the characters. And I wished that he could have taken his wife with him on his adventures. He was kind of a nasty bastard in that way. Anyway, um, yeah, Lost City of Zed. I'm real tired. <laughs> oh, it's my turn. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, what are we on? Thirteen. Yeah. Darkest Hour. That's a bad <laughs> Winston Churchill. <laughs> <laughs> yep, good movie. <laughs> good movie. <laughs> of course. Darkest Hour is about Winston Churchill. Um. Uh, Gary Oldman, a great job. Uh, it's uh, it's an excellent period piece. I mean, it was done very much to the period. Um, it was you know about an interesting moment in history, which I'm also reading another book about, which is um, I don't know, I like it. I like the history of of, of things. <laughs> so that's my number thirteen. Very very good movie. Yeah, oh, I also probably should say it's literally about the same thing as Dunkirk, but in England. It's it's what's going on in the background of Dunkirk. Yeah, and the book I'm reading is about right before uh, Hitler invades Czechoslovakia, and it's like a historical fiction. So, you know, it's a bunch of stuff that didn't really happen amidst hmm. a bunch of stuff that really did. So it's like, hey, I've, I get to uh, read a spy book, but also get learning on some stuff. I want to edit Dunkirk and Darkest Hour together chronologically <laughs> and, and like throw a little mud bound in as well 
Oh man, doesn't that that takes place during World War Two also, huh? Well, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you could edit that. Anyone, any movie from last year that takes place during World War II, let's edit those all together. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, Internal okay, yeah, so that's uh, this is my number 13. I believe it's uh, Brady's chance to uh, say if he liked something 12th best. I did like something 12th best. And um, I've got this thing, like, I like to look at the movies kind of at like the periphery of the list to determine how strong a year is. I don't think this year was the strongest year, but when I look at my number 12, if a movie is good as The Big Sick is 12, then I think it is a strong... That's still pretty strong, because I love The Big Sick. Uh, this is like, you know, right up there with like the ladybirds of the year of like, just like such strong, soulful character work. Uh so, I mean, it's the true story of comedian Kumail Nanjiani and his wife, Emily Gordon, uh, also a comedy writer. And it's basically how they dated and they kind of had to overcome the fact that he had a strict Pakistani family. They also had to overcome the fact that she went into a coma uh, for a, a period of months, I think. And so it's actually about him uh, hanging out with her parents and getting to know them. And yeah, it's just like the perfect mixture of like an Apatow comedy with this really soulful, really well-handled uh, dramatic bit as well. Uh, Holly Hunter and Ray, Mom- Ray Romano are fantastic in this. Uh, it's a crime. Holly Hunter wasn't nominated for supporting actress. I think Romano would have been a good nominee as well. Uh, yeah, this is just like, this was like the fullest meal in terms of just like emotionally getting me this year. What One of, for sure. Like, you don't often get an uproarious comedy with this much depth to it as well. And yeah, I, I just really liked stretching that muscle. It felt good to like, you know, it's the kind of movie where you're, you're laughing. And then the next scene, like you're really being emotionally affected. And I, I think this will come up in regards to another film, but the term I have for it is like, it's a damp face movie, you know, whether you're crying at it or laughing at it, it's the kind of movie that just kind of puts you in this like good emotional mood for the entirety of it. And that's a, that's a strong thing in my book. So yeah, the big sick, uh, really, 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 really good. All right, Tess, uh, your number 12. Um, my number 12 is, uh, Oh, hi, Mark. Um, the disaster artist. Oh, hi, Mark. I did not. I did not hit her. I did not. Um, yeah. Um, I really, really enjoyed this movie, and I have, uh, um, honest truth, I've not watched The Room all the way through in my life. Um, I started yeah, to I watch started it. I started watching it after. And it was so bad. It's fantastically bad. That I couldn't, I couldn't get through it. It was just well, so bad. Well, I have breast cancer. And like, I, you know, I feel like somehow that just got like picked up by the public consciousness as a bad movie that got made somehow and it's like i have seen a bunch of bad movies that somehow ended up in my home like on dvd and i don't know i don't i doubt they got a theater release like this did because he put the bill for it but you know i've seen enough actually bad movies that are just like the room that i don't you know i i didn't get it i didn't understand what was so funny and intriguing to people about it um anyway um now i'm talking about the room instead of the disaster artist but it's easy to do um 
Yeah, I think just like, you know, they really captured that guy's weird character. And uh, boy, is Tommy Wiseau a weird character. Um, yeah, yeah, truly. I don't, I don't know. It was just really fun. And watching them recreate scenes from that movie was really highly entertaining. Yeah, especially the Seth Rogen director character. Oh yeah, fantastic. he was he was great. Like did he did he help he write this movie? Like button? he was so good in that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Franco should have been nominated. Yeah. But uh yeah. <laughs> political yeah. issues. Mm, uh, mm, mm. Yeah. So, um it was great. Really enjoyed The Disaster Artist. Maybe I'll actually watch The Room someday. Anyway, that's my number 12. Cool. It's uh, wonderfully bad. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm partially through. It's good for watching when I'm trying to go to bed at like four. The Room? Yeah, because it's like, uh, I don't care if I actually do fall asleep. <laughs> and perhaps uh, I, will, uh, I will fall asleep because, it's, you know, the alternative is watching the room <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so um so at any rate um the whole thing is that my number 12 is it which was very good actually um i don't know what causes these pops it's something about when i go it does that do it no i don't know just occasionally these mics pop uh marker rob remember that there's a problem there um <laughs> sorry i'm talking the whole reason I'm not doing a great job of participating in this list thing is because I'm all stressed about the recording process and putting this all together because it's harder now because I haven't done it for a long time and I've never done it this way. So if uh, people are listening going like, why is Rob being such a dick today? That's why I'm, I'm fucking stressed. While we enjoy and value discussing film, sound quality is our first priority. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, now that I've verified the sound quality is good, I can get on to the whole thing where I discuss film and I enjoy that, and it's good. So sorry, uh, editorial. So note. did you enjoy My it? Twelve is it? Yes, I enjoyed it. Uh, actually, <laughs> what was it? Um, I thought it was perfect that they did this. the The last picture show uh, did, or no, your next picture show, which is another film podcast I rather like, where they uh, match a new movie with an old movie. And in this case, uh, your next picture show did a thing where uh, they matched it with Stand By Me, both Stephen King, both uh, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that was really apt. Uh, it definitely does have that sort of like Ender's Game uh, about kids feeling or, or um, you know, Stephen King, people calling each other fart breath and so forth and so on. And like, you know, uh, uh, the first, you know, uh, like uh, the Sandlot, you know, these sort of feelings of, of childhood that, you know, everybody went Nostalgia. through childhood where it's just like, oh, yeah, we all called each other stupid and idiot and fart breath and blah, blah, blah. And like, you, you know, went roaming around the neighborhoods and, you know, It Follows has a bit of that, too. Um, Two for flinching. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Slug Bug Yellow, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I liked it for that reason. And, um, you know, it has a good message as well. And. You know, it's a, a great story, too. It's just from back when Stephen King used to just bang on the fucking typewriter and just be like, I'm just going to, like, do cocaine and drink and, like, <laughs> bang on the typewriter till a book comes out, and I'm going <laughs> to release, like, ten a month. Anyway, uh, then he got sober, and then he started writing 
other things that are also good, but this is from back then. So I kind of like that. Is Did it a uh, good message of it to not trust clowns? <laughs> no, the good message is, is the togetherness and how uh, love will keep you unafraid and, and you'll actually... You know, did watching together, this? Then, um, I mean, actually, like the bullies are actually almost as terrifying as the clown. Like somebody described um, the guy that plays the clown in this version of it, what he imagined, like what a, a otherworldly creature would imagine a clown would look like, whereas the other Tim Curry's clown looks like an actual real clown. Right. I don't know. I just thought that was really insightful because it does. He doesn't look like any clown I've ever actually seen. You know. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely. Uh, I mean, the idea is that it's not. You know, it is a, a creature. You know, it's not just a clown. It's not yeah. just that's why the circus clown. won't have him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Is that why he's acting up? So, so Penny Rob, Rob did. Um, so anyway, it's good. It's my number yeah. twelve. And, did it uh, um, make you nostalgic for the killer clown that used to terrorize you as a boy? Uh, well, <laughs> no, because that one put me on trial in the attic that one time. What the fuck? <laughs> litigious clown. Brady. <laughs> I'm a litigious clown. Yes, you're a litigious lawyer who served as a clown in my past. I've served. I've served my country. Um, clown country. Clown country. Anyway, this is uh, clown country. Yeah. So that's my number 12. We want Brady's number 11 now, right? You want it? <gasps> All right, this one is a little different um, from what I've been... I've been writing my reviews, and so there's been a bit of a shuffling. Uh, this was originally number 10. It's fallen to number 11, but it's a great movie. Uh, it is Good Time by the Safdie brothers, Ben and Josh Safdie uh, from New York. Uh, and it stars Robert Pattinson. Uh, so Good Time is basically about... Uh, a total shitheel, sleazy, uh, two-bit criminal living in New York who has a mentally handicapped brother, and he kind of involves him in his little shenanigans. So what happens is they go to rob a bank. Well, the first thing that happens is this brother, played by Robert Pattinson, who's amazing in it, uh, interrupts his brother's therapy session. He's like, fuck that. You're not doing therapy. Like, let's go rob a bank. That's what. That's the thing we should do. And it lands his brother in jail when they get caught. And so the entire film is one night of him trying to both raise bail money. And when he can't raise bail money, he basically decides he's going to break his brother out of the uh, hospital where he's landed because he got in a prison fight. And so it's like one night of the tortured soul kind of a thing of just this guy who's an irredeemable shithead uh, trying to, you know, what I say, uh, do the right thing in quotes uh, because this guy has very bad judgment, but he thinks he's helping his brother. And so it's just this unbelievably tense, uh, propulsive kind of like uh, one crime leading to another film as this guy tries to free his brother. Yeah. I mean, it's very, that. Uh... I, I'd like to say honorable mention for this for me as well, because the whole thing, uh, it was going to be my number four, but then I decided something else should be number four, but then I didn't put it back on the list. <laughs> <laughs> you got a real fluid roster there. So it's not, uh, it's, it, it, it's just not in my list anywhere. Good no. time. Where were you? We were calling your name. We had to give your table away. <laughs> exactly. That's what happened. <laughs> um, so sorry. Good time. But yeah, no, it's really good. Uh, I, I also wanted to say that I like it and I would have put it, you know, way higher, like on the list at all. 
<laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm gonna. This is gonna come up again, but uh, the two stars of Twilight have had a very good year. Ow! It was a very good year. Very, very good year. Pattinson should have been nominated. Yeah, the dog was trying to get a ball and accidentally bit my ankle. Like it, it, you, you won't bad. find a more like wonderfully magnetically hateable character than Connie Nikas in Good Time. Yeah, it's, and at the very beginning of Good Time, I'd like to say this: it starts out, and you kind of think that it's almost going to be like a "Tell me about the rabbits, George" sort of thing, and then it turns into like, "Oh no, this guy's really bad." Well, at least he's trying to get his brother, like undo the bad thing. No, this is going to snowball like uh, <laughs> like dope or like Project X or anything like that, but just. In a way more uncomfortable and right and like unhappy, you know, a total unraveling. Yeah. And that's what's like, I almost like in an American psycho kind of way, think there's kind of a small bit of comedy to it. It's just like, all right, I'm going to do something helpful. It's like, no, no, don't do anything helpful. Stop helping. Stop yeah. helping. Which is kind of the theme of the movie, too. Um, anyway, yeah, it's so great. Yeah, no, I, it was it was really good, and I I watched that one like during my overnight shift. You know, it was one of these several monitors that I was staring at, and uh, uh, occasionally I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And occasionally I went like, uh, "Is everything okay with the shit I'm supposed to be looking at?" Jesus. <laughs> and it, it, it was, it was. I mean, it's better than falling asleep. That would definitely I would not notice things for longer if I fell asleep. Yeah. All right, Tess, what do you say? Is this number 11? Yeah. My number 11 is Spido-Bad. Spido-Bad? Spido-Bad. Spider-Man Homecoming, the Marvel Disney Universe Spider-Man picture that came out. Um, uh, I don't normally care for Spider-Man movies. Um sacrilege I guess but I haven't really cared for any of them (laughs) Um, this one I enjoyed because it wasn't telling the same story over and over again like it wasn't like we gotta show how Peter got his powers no we already know Tony came and got him in Civil War and we've met we've met the kid he has superpowers and um, and then they just kind of get into it Um, (laughs) so yeah, I liked that about it. I thought it was fun. I really like the uh, the direction that the whole MCU is going with kind of just letting letting this stuff be like funny, and you know, not not trying to get too serious with it. Um, yeah, Spider Man Homecoming really really had a good time watching that movie. Uh, should I go with mine now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, uh, so mine is um, American Made, uh, which is a Tom Cruise picture from this year about Barry Seal. I always found the Barry Seal story very interesting because they killed that motherfucker, for sure. Um, Barry Seal was the guy, he, he was a TWA pilot, and then a CIA agent approached him at one point and said, hey, can you take pictures of the, the cartels? And then they went, he went, okay, and then the cartels grabbed him and went like we see you taking pictures of us can you smuggle drugs for us and he's like uh okay don't kill me and then um he's smuggling drugs for them the cia goes we know you're smuggling drugs for them will you trade drugs for guns for them (laughs) and he goes uh okay and then he's just at a certain point he's just bringing drugs bringing guns like bringing drugs back bringing guns back so forth and so on and at a certain point um 
I think in it's this isn't what happened in the movie, but in real life, some kids saw the drug drop, and then they died uh, drunken in a car on a train track. But the parents did like an independent autopsy. This was this was not in the movie, but this is the story. Uh, they just kind of did something uh, editorialized. Uh, but the kid, parents did an independent autopsy and found like stab wounds, and then you know the whole thing blew up, and basically the CIA agent said. That's not even my real name. Goodbye. You're on your own. And then Barry Seal like recorded a whole video journal about all the shit. And um, this was all when Bill Bill Clinton was the uh, the governor of Arkansas, by the way, too. Clinton. Uh, and Clinton actually got him off so that he didn't go to jail, so that they could kill him. Um, at any rate, oh, Bill, always getting people. It's off. a Tom Cruise movie. Um, and the thing about Tom Cruise movies is here's how you know it's a good one. You forgot it was Tom Cruise. Nice. It's a good movie if you forget that, oh, I was watching Tom Cruise and I forgot. So, <laughs> uh, this, like Eyes Wide Shut, both of them fit that. Uh, so that's that's a good Tom Cruise movie. There you go. We weren't just watching a smiling. There you go. You solved it. Guy. You figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> no Ray. Anyway, uh, Brady, what is your number ten? My number ten, also falling one spot from its number nine position, which I just published the review for, is Dunkirk. Uh, Dunkirk, and h- h- what I say in my review, I'm going to say it here. Somehow, this movie it made all the money on God's green earth. Tons of people see it, saw it. Like, it's this and Get Out are like the blockbuster slash critical smashes of the year. I think Dunkirk is underrated Uh, because I talk to a lot of people who like it, but everyone has some issue with it, and it's rarely the same issue. Like, Tess, I know you didn't care for it super much. (laughs) No, I didn't Um, care for it. And I I don't want to, like, put words in your mouth as to why you didn't. But let me just say, like, there are a lot of people I talk to are like, well, uh, another World War II movie again, meh. And then there are other people like my parents who saw it and like, wait, I wanted like a World War II movie. Instead, I got this like spare, merciless, mechanically engineered thing with no people really talking, barely any characters. So it's like I talk to people who think it's too cold and I talk to people who think, well, blase, 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 been there, done that, another war picture. And I find that interesting because it's kind of neither. It's like this weird hybrid of a mercilessly tense action film with also just like a sprinkling of a prestige drama. Cause obviously the story is, you know, one of the most inspiring stories of world war two is the evacuation of Dunkirk, the miracle at Dunkirk. Uh, but yeah, it, I just think it's the most fantastically edited film of the year. Um, it's such like, it, it's almost indecent. The fact that like a movie that's like about watching death and being in like a horrible, horrible situation is also this perversely entertaining, uh, but there you have it, and that's a very Nolan thing. You know, look back at the Dark Knight, which everyone saw again, and is very, very entertaining. But I also remember walking out with my friend Mozzie and being like, "Do you kind of feel like you have PTSD from watching that? <laughs> like, it's entertaining and brutally emotionally exhausting filmmaking." Uh, but you know. I think there's something commendable about that. Nolan is a very, very, very talented craftsman. And I think as a level of sheer craft, this is maybe the best movie of the year, just in terms of uh, how it's put together. Uh, it's it's a really uh, fantastic bit, bit of clockwork, I'd say. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, Dunkirk is really great. 
All right, you done, Kirk? I'm done, Kirk. Uh, number 10 on my list is Baby Driver. Um, though I do think that there was too much baby, baby and not enough driver. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> that's baby. that's, that's baby. the review. Baby, 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 baby. Spacey? <laughs> okay, yeah. I will spoil the ending of Baby Driver for everybody. Again, this is a spoiler, spoiler full podcast. Um, the Kevin Spacey character is basically like, no, I'm not going to help you. No, at all. No, never. I'm not going to help you. I'm No, why would I do anything for you? I fucking hate you. I just want to use you. Oh, you're in love. Never mind. I'll die for you. <laughs> that literally happened. That flip happens in like a minute. Yeah. It was kind of fantastic. Um, <laughs> at any rate, uh, yeah, no. A uh, character named Baby and Kevin Spacey takes a shine to him. Yeah common story apparently <laughs> um, <laughs> rob are you is baby driver on your list anywhere uh no i i did like it but uh it's not on yeah me list. too no i i think maybe i'm undervaluing it and i'd like to see it again because it's it's a blast well here's the thing it's a blast it starts out kind of being um a, a little bit like a, a very tight heist movie and then by the end of it it's turned into like crazy bruckheimer face-off con air sort of like wacky <laughs> twists and turns and the bad guy will not fucking die sort of situation yeah. and i don't feel like the first half hour advertises that it's going to be that and then it, by the end it becomes that and i'm like hmm i feel like you were disingenuous with me yeah. <laughs> the other thing i'll say on a level of sheer editing the only thing to come close to dunkirk this year is baby driver like oh, it yeah. is yeah, it is true. maybe the year's masterwork of editing so uh given that what well, brady what's your uh oh you Dunkirk's your number 10. Oh, okay. I'm, we're on oh, yeah. You're on you're 10. On, you're 10. Oh, shit. I was going to pull up the Wikipedia article so I could get the goddamn person's name correctly. Uh, well, my number 10 is The Bad Batch because I know it's not going to get any love from anybody else because I don't think anybody saw it except for me uh, and the people in the theater with me. But it was a small theater that served food and beer. So, you know, it wasn't that many people seeing it um you should have gotten their phone numbers so you could be like you guys want to do like a podcast on the bad batch yeah exactly because no one else ever will um it's directed by the same person who directed a girl walks home at night i need to see that um and i can't remember the name of that person but since brady is familiar with is that, it like amanpour or something it's yeah, like she's it's an iranian like director yeah uh iranian lady and what it's about is it's about like an open air prison where um, basically the, if you do not conform to society, uh, you get dropped off in Mexico, basically. We're in a desert somewhere between civilized California and Mexico. And in that, that desert is populated by a, a drug dealing Keanu Reeves who creates like kind of a burning man, like wonderful palace place. B, a couple roving groups of cannibals who that's how they feed themselves. And C, um, a uh, wandering hermit who makes trades. And basically, the the woman gets dropped off in the thing, and then she goes, and then she gets uh, immediately gets her arm and leg chopped off by the cannibals. But then she escapes, and then she's going to kill the cannibals, but then she falls in love with one, and then they have the whole weird thing with Keanu Reeves, and some other shit goes on, too. And Jim Carrey is in this movie as well. 
in a non-speaking role where he's just a crazy-ass hermit. And it was fantastic. Just everything about the movie is fantastic. It's beautiful. It looks like they probably just shot it in the middle of nowhere and so they didn't have to pull any permits or whatever. Uh, you know, it didn't seem like there was any refrigeration, so probably not very good craft services or anything. So they were probably really method doing this shit. Uh, I, I mean, I guess we didn't chop off her arm and leg, but you know, it was great. It was, it was a, it was a quite an experience and a feast for the eyes. So that's my number 10. And is the bad batch Benedict Cumberbatch? Uh, no, the bad batch is the group of all the people in the open air prison. Okay. That's where you're at. None of whom you're in the bad batch. So you like, you know, you're the bad batch. You don't get to participate in society. You put in the open air desert prison. How how do they keep them in there? Uh, it's it's a there's a fence. There's a fence. There's a fence. Yeah, the bad fence. What keeps them from climbing the fence? It's like a you know there's uh sometimes they do break back in and then they just pick them back up and put them back in the. This doesn't sound very efficient. This is the weirdest prison. Well, I mean, it's, you know... <laughs> You're like an inspector. No, 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 none of this is... This Look, isn't up to snuff. There's basically a border wall. Mm. And they just go, here. You. So they just put them in New Mexico and let them have that? Yeah, And no, put a wall like, around it? It's like it? the Montessori school of prisons. I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's New Mexico. I think new. it's probably Mexico, but... Hmm. It, I mean, I think the idea is that, like, the... Um, Wherever that desolate area is, like, used to be a, a country, but it got bombed or something. They don't really explain it. Oh. Yeah. And then there's a whole, like, you know, harem kept by Keanu Reeves, and he has hella money and, like, hella resources, and he, you know, uh, has children with the ladies and stuff, mm-hmm. I think. I don't know. It's very confusing, but it's really, uh, really interesting to watch. It's a great film. Uh, I recommend everybody see it. Fine, Rob. We will. We will. You'd better, you'd better, you'd bet. <laughs> okay. So, all that moving and a shaking is due to this film climbing up uh, from number 11 to number 9. And maybe I'm being biased. Humble brag, I got a shout out from uh, the director of this film, uh, which I really appreciated. That was so nice. Bill Morrison, very talented. He has made the years. Second best documentary. Uh, It's Dawson City Frozen Time. Uh, The story of it is that in 1979, in a remote Yukon town that was uh, actually the town that kicked off the Yukon Gold Rush in the 1890s, uh, they found a bunch of old silent films buried in the earth, and they'd been preserved uh, due to the frost. And so basically, it's a documentary that uses footage from all these old silent films uh, and kind of is telling the story of this place called Dawson City. I'm sorry, I didn't say the name of this. It's Dawson City Frozen yes, Time. You did. Oh, did I? You okay. Did. Dawson City Frozen Time. So it's using these old films partly to tell the story of Dawson City. It kind of tells the story of the gold rush. And it also turns out a bunch of uh, very famous, important people passed through this place at the same time before they became famous, a lot of them. So, you know, like Jack London, Charlie Chaplin, the guy who built the Chinese theater, Sid Grauman, uh, all these famous movie producers. And then in the funniest bit, they say that uh, Donald Trump's grandfather was actually heading to this place and set up a brothel along the way. Of course. And it's did. literally where the Trump family fortune got its start. 
Uh, so, but mostly it's, he's editing. Like I talked about Dunkirk having marvelous editing. Let me say this is also a marvelous bit of editing because it's using all these old films to tell this story and eventually becomes the bigger story of early film history and kind of uh, early American 20th century history. Uh, yeah, it's really dreamy and uh, it's kind of the most singular experience I had. Uh, and what I love about a film like this is it's, you know, there are a lot of films that I didn't know were going to come out, but this one surprised me the most. Uh, I did not see this film coming. And so this this is just a reminder, like what I love every film year is getting to find something special like this. Yeah. And, once again, what's it called? Uh, Dawson City, Frozen Time. Dawson City, Frozen Time. Brady's number 10. Yeah. Fantastic yes, documentary. Uh, fantastic score, too. Yes. And then Tess, you're number nine. Are you, you're, you're done. I'm done. Okay. Sorry. Well, I mean, we're running long, so I thought um, I'd just move things along. A Quiet Passion is my number nine. Um, the story of, uh, oh gosh, which one was it? Emily Dickinson. <laughs> Emily Dickinson. Thank you. I think Emily Dickinson was gay. Okay, partial credit. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's the story of Emily Dickinson and her quiet passion of writing poetry and um it's just kind of like a a really cool interesting biopic with um lots of great characters that she she knows (laughs) 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 uh she has um talents and characteristics and also eyes and passion and passion let's not forget the quiet passion Um, okay we're running long quiet passion number nine rob you're up okay Uh, my number nine uh brady knows all his off the top of his head i'm sure but i have to look i i do three billboards outside dot 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 that's just because it was going to run off the page outside of ebbing missouri um no it's it's a totally different movie it's actually called three billboards outside dot 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 uh mr burns was shot 12 years ago and still no arrests how come, Chief Quimby? Oh, jeez. Because <laughs> it was the baby. You can't arrest a baby. Also, the chief is Wiggum. You can, you can, yes. Oh, Quimby is the mayor. I am not the uh, police officer. Oh, wait, was it how come Mayor Quimby or how come Chief? I guess how come Chief Wiggum. Yeah. Chief Wiggum. Uh, so anyway, um, the thing I like about, okay, I did not expect this movie to be what it was. Uh, I thought it was going to be a little bit more like... Um, uh, the fuck is that movie enough that I think it's called Brady help me out here you know enough, I, I have not seen enough yeah but you, like you saw the, the poster right <laughs> uh no <laughs> no if I'd seen the poster I would have seen the movie <laughs> that's a hell of a poster but right. you saw the uh the, the poster <laughs> well I saw the poster and I'm like I know what that you see any is. good posters this year <laughs> Oh man! No, I expected it to be kind of like like woman stands up against the patriarchy <laughs> and and then like fights and fights and everybody tells her to stop and she's like, now nah, screw you. And what it was actually it was a lot more bookish. It was a lot more like here's her plight and her problem and and her thing. Here's the chief's plight, the chief's problem, his thing. And uh, here's the the guy who's a racist asshole cop's problem, stop um, his thing. And it it kind of gave each character their arc and each character like. You know, they're, they're set piece in almost three acts, I would say. Uh, so it was very bookish and playish in that in that way. And uh, I found it interesting. And I was like, huh, 
that's that's a little more provocative than what I thought it was going to be, and so I liked it. Does anyone understand why that guy had a Australian wife? No. What was that? I, I think I think she was trying to be American and then occasionally just you know she dropped not, her accent. She was making no effort to be. A, she had an accent. His his wife in Ebbing, Missouri, had an Australian accent, hands down. No yeah. question. No attempt to disguise the fact. Yeah, I, I think she tried weird. a couple times. She and then didn't. The, I, not that was on. The, <laughs> she tried not at all. Not that was on the screen. And then and then the the the, uh, the the director just said, you know what, you can't do it. So we're gonna reshoot those and just do your normal voice. Yeah. You think that? <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, I think I that's what know. happened. All right, we're watching the director's commentary when I mean, it comes out. Look, an Australian woman might go to Ebbing, Missouri. It made no sense. It was weird and distracting, okay? <laughs> well, maybe in the book there was a little more like There's he... a book? Was no, there... there's no book. There's no book? <laughs> no. <laughs> maybe in the uh, deleted scenes like we start with him like <laughs> start with on her a journey from Australia. In... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to go to Missouri. To I Ebbing. I don't know. Accents are hot. <laughs> Like, yeah. You know, I feel like maybe that was part of it. Is they and then and then he's got a really hot wife, and she's got an accent because she's so exotic. <laughs> Crikey! Yeah. That's not a wife. This is a wife. <laughs> I don't know. The, the director's from Ireland. Maybe he thinks. <laughs> maybe he just thinks Missouri's full of Australians. Oh my God. Good night, everybody. I'm out. I'm out. I'm not even finished. (laughs) These mics are fragile, so set it down instead of dropping it. But (laughs) all right, all right, Uh, Brady, number Uh, eight. Yeah, you know, I really like Three Billboards too. It's not going to make my list. Um, It's uh, it's weird to me in some ways, but man, I can't deny how powerful it is. It's a really powerful movie and really well acted. Okay, my number eight. Uh, I'm going to watch this movie this weekend because I need to write a review for it, is The Lost City of Zed, uh, which is James Gray's uh, movie about explorer Percy Fawcett in, uh, I think, like, turn-of-the-century England. Oh, no, yeah, basically turn-of-the-century England. Uh, And he's a man who was kind of from a disgraced family back when, like, oh, your dad was a douche. Guess what that makes you? A douche. Um, so. <laughs> I think somebody said that in the yeah, movie. Like, I'm sorry, old boy, but your father was rather a douche. Um, so he's like a soldier, and he's trying to make a name for himself and kind of dig himself out of his bad family name. And so he ends up taking uh, what seems like kind of a bad job, uh, going to Bolivia to make maps, because I think he has like cartography experience. So they send him into like the remote Bolivian jungle, into the Amazon. Uh, and basically it's about, uh, played by uh, Charlie Hunnam, who's an actor I have not had kind words for in the past because I, I didn't like Pacific Rim. He, he gets slapped for being kind of like a hunky but limited actor. Uh, but he is great in this, like really, really strong work by Charlie Hunnam. And uh, oh, who's that? Robert Pattinson again? Fantastic. Would have made my supporting actor ballot. Is He's there, great in it, too. Does he have a brother? Uh, not that like you hear David about. David Pattinson or something? Oh, in real life? 
I must be thinking David Patterson or something. I don't know. <laughs> Who are you? I think you're thinking you're think- of Paddington. You're thinking Paddington. Paddington. <laughs> what a, a bear. Good Robert bear. Paddington what a bear. Nice bear. What a nice bear. <laughs> That's Griffin Newman. Um, <laughs> greatest review ever. Um, <laughs> sorry, staying on topic. Uh, yeah, but Robert Pattinson as like, he plays kind of his assistant who he meets up with. He's like at first kind of a drunk but becomes like this very helpful assistant. And what it's about is kind of like this Herzogian uh, like tale of obsession where this guy, like it becomes his life work to like keep going back to this place. And he's trying to find like a lost civilization in the jungle. Um, I hear the guy like wasn't a perfect human being in real life. He had like some less than good views on race, but what the movie presents and this is true is he was one of the first people to be like, Hey, yo, your understanding of tribal cultures is like, oh, they're savages. Like they don't have any kind of infrastructure like we do. And he was one of the first to raise his voice and be like, uh, uh-uh. like they're, they do have, you know, there's, they're smart. They have civilizations of their own. And so he kind of got the scientific community to pay attention and change its understanding of that. And so it's, it's a guy about a guy like doing noble work, but also kind of alienating his family a bit and kind of becoming obsessed with this, with going back to this place. I need to see it again. Um, it's really great. And I don't know if I have the words to completely do it justice, but it's just got this really rich, soulful, like classic epic filmmaking feel yeah. to it. It's splendidly acted. Uh, it's just beautiful to look at and has a lot of emotion. And uh, Sienna Miller as his wife is really, really great. And it kind of has this like undercurrent of feminism where we're paying attention to her knowing you know in a way it's i think about like societal strictures and we see kind mm-hmm. of the bad strictures placed on him with this very caste systemy like oh your family did bad uh, but the movie i think does a good job of also looking at her plight which is she wants to come and this society the way it treats women she just kind of gets pushed into the background of the story right um, and they sorry to interrupt but like um one of the things i liked about it um is that they you know they kind of juxtapose him um, you know, refusing to humanize her right. when, you know, he's the one that's kind of insisting that, that his own society, like, respect this other culture. Like, well, yeah, and that's you know, why, they won't, without spoiling They it, won't respect the women around them. <laughs> like, I don't want to spoil it, but the ending shot is beautiful, and I think it's, like, it's very subtly saying, like, this woman has her own path. Like, mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, the yeah anyway it's, it's a great spoiler filled podcast it's, no but I don't want to ruin it it's, it's such a good ending shot I wouldn't want to ruin it but it's so great it's great Lost Alrighty. City of Zed Tess what do you got um what number are we on oh eight um my number eight is Okia uh Piggy the, it's it's the Piggy movie that made everyone want to be a vegetarian for a minute um it made me cry it's really sad. So it's this year's Milo and Otis. Um, what? No. What are you talking Maybe about? Everybody want to be a vegetarian for a minute. Anyway. Milo and Otis did. <laughs> no. Um, if I can't watch Milo and Otis while eating a cat steak, then <laughs> I don't want to live. <laughs> uh, from what I've heard about Milo and Otis, that was pretty much what the set, like the people on the set, were doing. Yeah. They were just like eating their cat steaks <laughs> and then filming this movie. I'm gonna eat a cat anyway. steak while I watch Caddy. Uh, <laughs> oh. Oh. Anyway, go on. Wait, was Teddy this year? 
Uh, yeah. It's not on my list. You oh. didn't write it down for me. I, well, I can't. Oh, yeah. Ah, you can give it an honorable mention it. later on. Okay. Um, Ketty is my number eight. <laughs> 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 no, um, Okia. Uh, really, really good movie. Um, I, uh, I just really appreciate the, uh, the pro-vegetarianism angle of it and it the farms really are that cruel they're that awful that was not an exaggeration anyway i'll get i'll step off my yeah that was brutal that scene and on that note i shouldn't eat the piggies because they're really smart and good creatures and they love us like dogs do probably and on that note, I'd like to introduce our first ever sponsor, ButcherBox, everybody. ButcherBox. If you uh, go on now and give the code carnivorous, you can get 20% off of your first box and free bacon at ButcherBox.com. I can't believe I forgot Ketty. <laughs> That's actually literally a real thing. You guys definitely can go do that. Um, and I'm going to see if they will pay me now that I put that in there as a joke. Um, at any rate, uh, my number eight. Uh, also, my girlfriend's about to barge in and go like, oh, you're recording uh, in a second or two. Just, uh, you know, tell you I know the future. Um, my number eight is Lady Bird. Why? Because it's about sack girls and they ain't nobody's business but mine. Uh, this makes a lot of sense. Exactly. Yes. I wrote, uh, a, song wrote a song about Sacramento. A song that was like that and... That was like that. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a song I wrote, and uh, I rather enjoyed it, uh, writing it, and then I rather enjoyed the movie because I saw it with two girls from Sacramento, and um, yeah, no, it's great. I'm sure there will be much more talk on it, so I probably don't need to do the talk because I won't talk as much talking that's good as other people will with their face. Are base. you okay? Butcher box, Are you everyone. <laughs> So talking <laughs> shall happen later by other people, but that's my number eight. <laughs> yes. Brady, your number seven. My, my number seven. Um, okay, this is one that's come up on Tessa's list. I actually really don't have the words for this one. I just know that I loved it when I watched it. Uh, it's A Quiet Passion, starring potential future New York governor Cynthia Nixon, uh, oh, who right. you might know from Sex and the City. And who has become? Uh, uh, she's become a great actress. I think she's like a Tony winner too. Um, uh, but she is phenomenal in this. Uh, should have been nominated. I'm saying that a lot, but she should have. Uh, yeah, it's the story of Emily Dickinson. It kind of starts like you see her as a, a young teenager, a headstrong teenager, because she was a a headstrong, interesting, complicated person, and. I'm still trying to parse out what the movie's about, but I think it's kind of like looking at kind of how, as a woman, she's constrained. But I, I think of that like line uh, from the poem, like, time held me green and dying, though I sang in my chains like the sea. Uh, so it's about like, well, she's trapped, but like she's such a fantastic, interesting person. And it's kind of about like how that's maybe a salve, but also how like, well, that that doesn't keep you from aging and growing old and like being smart and having art like only protects you so much. And I think the film's very brutally honest about that because you watch her entire life up to the point where she dies. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just about like watching this interesting woman uh, 
in the time she lives in, um, trying to make the best of her life, trying to pursue her art. And, you know, she was one of those artists who I don't think really got to live to see herself uh, hit peak ascendancy, you know, had to die, like not knowing if she'd become a great famous poet. Um, and yeah, it's just this, it's so well acted. Uh, and as her sister, Jennifer Ely is fantastic as well. And yeah, it's just, uh, a, a really well acted, uh, smart biopic. And I normally don't like biopics, but this one, this one's great. A quiet passion. All right, Tess, what's your number seven? <laughs> um, I'm so mad that I forgot Ketty. Um, my, <laughs> My number seven is Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Woo, Thor! <laughs> Finally a good Thor movie. Um, yeah, I'm getting really into the Marvel movies lately, so um, so we got Thor Ragnarok as my number seven. I just felt that it deserved, um, deserved a shout-out for so highly entertaining me and um, re- uh, revitalizing the franchise into something that I might actually want to continue to watch. <laughs> Um, and Thor is such a great character. Like, I think he's genuinely one of the best Avengers. Um, but he's been getting such crappy movies, um, up until now that, uh, what's his name? Taika Waititi? Uh, yeah, Taika Waititi. Um, does a great job. Um, he's the, what we do in the shadows, dude. And, um, oh, what's it? The Wilder People. The so Wilder Hunt for people? the Wilder People. That's such a great movie. movie. It's like it's the cute. It. It's yeah. uh, the guy from Jurassic Park and the cute little kid in New Zealand. Oh right. Oh it's, it's yeah. The most you really like that on Earth. Um. Yeah. Um. I just. Yeah. I really liked Thor Ragnarok. Um. Good stuff. I mean, obviously, it had some problems. It's still kind of a goofy superhero movie, but goofy. Yeah. But were we not to go to Asgard to, <laughs> to sit with dear father, brother? <laughs> That's and a... what's her name being weirder every time I see her? What, what's her name? Natalie Portman? Tessa Thompson? What? No. Oh, she was what? in the first Natalie two... Portman, has, she was in the, only the first one. Kate oh, okay. Blanchett. And she sucks. <laughs> I've only seen the first one. Um, Kate Blanchett, yeah, is weirder. Is literally stranger every time I see her in a new role. I'm like, what weird shit is Kate Blanchett gonna do next? All right, there we go. She's the bad guy in Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> cool. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, so that that was fun. My uh, seven. yeah. Oh, uh, I just got want to say I think. That, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a little tremor there. Um, I think it has a great score too. By uh, the Devo guy, Mark Mothersbaugh, who did oh, nice. the Rugrats. I didn't even know that. The mother of all branches. That He's break. the mother of all boughs. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Perfect. and the other thing I liked about it is Sorry. that it's kind. It was kind of a backdoor th- uh, Hulk movie because they haven't made a good Hulk movie, but this kind of was a really good Hulk movie. <laughs> Business in the front, Hulk in the back. <laughs> Yeah, well, I haven't seen Thor Ragnarok, but I feel like... That's funny, because they cut his mullet. <laughs> I haven't seen Thor Ragnarok, but I hear they finally cracked it with that. Like, the first two Thors, they're just like, I don't quite know what to do with this character, like, how to make him entertaining or something. They're really, they're not good films, But, but really. eventually, uh, that they figured it out, you know, making him a little more jokey and a little more... Yeah, you know, let him be fun. Like, yeah, exactly. Instead of being so stilted and, like, uh, Asgard... 
And then, like, oh, and then it has, you know, they introduced Valkyrie, who I love. Um, She... She gets to um, be the uh, the rogue trope, which is usually something that is um, pr- a part that's pretty much solely written for men. And I guess when they did test audiences of it, like her first introduction is she gets off a, 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 sh- a spaceship drunk and fights a bunch of dudes like roguishly and people were like oh i don't like that she's a little rude like <laughs> why is she like this and uh taika watiti was like solo. yeah well um i'm keeping it yeah so One sorry taika <laughs> uh oh, man, anyway, i got a so, taika yeah. watiti um <laughs> right now okay uh, tessa thompson is also great as valkyrie and um well then i don't want to start talking about uh Infinity War, so we'll move on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so is it my turn to do my number seven? It is. My number seven is Get Out, because Get Out was a really good movie uh, by Jordan Peele. Peele. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> by Peele. Gonna be like, is it by here by Peele? Um, yeah, no, I, I was going to go with Jordan Peele. Peele. <laughs> Jordan Peele. Um, who, you know, you kind of think of him as a, a, a comedic kind of guy, because the Key and Peele show. <laughs> Key and Peele show. But this was actually like a very serious uh, social commentary and a horror uh, package with just a tiny little bit of comic relief by, um, by uh, you know, other people. Um, by other people. <laughs> by other people. <laughs> different play, different people. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really good, and I'm not one to know the names of people ever. <laughs> so, uh, there's that one lady in it who was, I thought she was maybe the sister from Dexter. Turns out that was incorrect. That wasn't who she was. And then there was the guy who was in that one episode <laughs> of <laughs> Black Mirror. We should never <laughs> say actors' names. We can only be like, hey... You know, it's the guy. Some obscure reference that nobody else would understand because they don't live in my head. Um, anyway, it was great. And I'm sure, again, more talking about that by other people who <laughs> can do that. Brady, what's your number six? It was beautifully said. Mm. Um, number six. All right. From here on out, uh, these are like the A movies for me of the year. Uh, and that starts with... My boy, Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. Um, It's ridiculously well acted, beautifully shot, as you'd expect from Anderson. Uh, Radiohead's Johnny Greenwood makes another peach of a score. Uh, Radiohead's Johnny Greenwood has the best score of the century in There Will Be Blood, I'd say. Um, And yeah, it's, it's kind of this... So it's about this like very priggish, very particular fashion designer in 1950s England. I don't want to talk about these things. I don't want to talk about these things. I've got the means to set up a dress shop. A dress will make the finest dresses for all the ladies in England. Um, no, he doesn't sound like that. I'm a dress man. <laughs> I'm a dress man. You would agree that this needs more lace. Yeah, let's just do plain views the rest of the time. Um, and he's kind of known for like having flings and going through women. Uh, he works with his sister, played by Leslie Manville from Another Year. Uh, she's he was great. Gay. No, he's not. Oh, um, he's just very, very particular and fussy. 
and he likes to I make identify. women's clothing. He makes women's clothing. Um, and yeah, uh, Leslie Manville is his sister, who's kind of his like main assistant, is really great. And so usually, you know, she he dates these women, and then she shows them the door eventually. And it's about the latest woman, this uh, waitress in the English countryside, uh, played by... Oh, God, what's her name? I can't... Oh, yeah. Vicky Creeps, a Belgian actress. Ah, uh, yes. Who is great. I thought she was somebody else as well, and I looked it also up, and I went, oh, gorgeous. it's Vicky Creeps. Uh, okay. She's beautiful and very talented and should have been nominated. You're Vicky Creeping me out. <laughs> Vicky Creeping. Uh, Vicky Creeping on the down low. Uh, so, yeah, and it's about her being his latest fling, but kind of like her standing up to him so it's kind of about relationships and about like kind of the game of like trying to figure out how to be with a person and what that person wants when to cede to them and when to hold your own ground and it's all just in this like ridiculously beautiful package like i'm not even a guy who pays that much attention to costumes but like just the look of this thing and the dresses is just beautiful uh, it's well acted. Did it get an award nomination for any of like set design, yeah, production design? Yeah, one costume. Okay, costume. Yeah, uh, very deservingly. Uh, yeah, and so it's kind of like this dramatic, but also a little bit funny. Like look at kind of the game of relationships, and yeah, it's Paul Thomas Anderson. So it, it's just every element of the thing is beautifully put together. It's it's luscious. It's a and a luscious fifties period piece too, which is you know low on the list of the things it does well, but it does that well. Very good, sir. Yeah, Phantom Thread. Okay. Uh, Tess, what is your number? What was that? Uh, six. six? My number six is Coco. Um, another Ooh, movie Coco? That, made me, me. that made me cry um, and also had some good songs. Uh, was was Poco Loco nominated? nominated? No. It should have. That was the best song in the movie. I know. That was so cute. Anyway, um... Yeah, it was it was a good, interesting, um, I would say quite unique story. Um the little boy goes to the the land of the dead and it like w- <laughs> it, it like one of the plot points is the you know, that, that phrase like they say you die three times, um you like die your actual death and then what there's an there's another step. Maybe it's only two, but I think I remember hearing it with three also. Anyway, they say you die twice. Um, you die your regular death, and then you die again the last time anybody ever says your name. Um, and that was, like, the plot of the movie, <laughs> which is pretty morbid for a kid's movie, I must say. <laughs> um, but, yeah, family legacy, important, all that. Um, and uh, the the kid likes to embrace music, which is great. Anyway, yeah. uh, Coco, and there usually like there's a bunch of like great animated stuff to pick from, and this year was just like except for Coco, like really weak, which was disappointing. But yeah. I agree, that movie is lovely. It just was just outside of my top twenty, I think, but um, it's so good. Tears. I'm dead, Rob. Buckets of tears. Uh, so we're on my number six. My number six is Blade Runner 2049. Because I like Blade Runner, and I thought that movie was really good. Uh, let me see. You got Gosling and Ford and uh, Davis, right? Davis? 
Mackenzie Davis. Oh, Mackenzie Davis. Yeah. Yes. Um, and also Blind Guy. I really need to watch it again. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> blind Guy. Yeah, didn't they? <laughs> blind Guy ran the uh, the orphanage. Oh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or, or was he not blind? Actually, he just I don't had, think he was. He blind. just had shades on. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Whenever anyone wears sunglasses, I'm just like that guy can't see right now. <laughs> and the award goes to blind guy. <laughs> blind guy. Um, no, uh, I thought it was really cool, and I really enjoyed it when I was watching it. I do need to watch it again because it was very long, and uh, I don't feel like I took it all in. It's a lot to take in. It's it just because it was in. a Blade Runner movie. Yes, this is true. Uh, Blade Runner is, well, depends on which one you watch. But yeah, Blade Runner is kind of a lot to take in as well. Anyway, it was uh, it was very good. Uh, it was very slow. Uh, music and um, very visually stunning. And, uh, you know, they didn't do the thing, which I was glad they didn't do, which uh, is say whether or not Harrison Ford was a replicant. I really didn't want that information to be a thing that they were just like. Well, I asked some of my friends at, at work about that, and they were like, oh, it kind of does confirm that he's not a replicant. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't think it I, I don't think it does. I think it, it leaves it open and ambiguous and kind of like furthers the question a little bit. And I, I was glad for that. If you were wondering whether or not it told you that Harrison Ford was, was a replicant, I told you it does not. So, okay. spoiler full podcast, because that's me. Uh, that's what I do. Anyway, uh, Brady, what's your number five? My number five is... Johnny Five is Alive? No. <laughs> it's Get Out. Uh uh, yeah, what what's left to say? It's uh, it is the Zeitgeist film of the year, I think. Uh, it made all the money, and yeah, it's it is fucking wonderful. It's a it's a horror movie. It's a race social critique, as you've said. Um, I do think it is just ever so slightly a comedy. Uh, Peel is pushed back on that, and I understand why he has. Uh, but I just want to say, like, it is a comedy to me, but. That just is a reminder that comedies can do serious things. Well, comedies mean, can only, have teeth. It was only comedic in the fact that it was, you know, kind of like calling attention to the genre and going like, and this is how this goes, right? Right. Yeah. But I mean, there are moments that like Peel has a comedian's touch for like, how do you kind of, it's like, I'd call them heightened moments. Like example of scary funny is the first time at night when we see the, uh, the groundskeeper like doing his running exercises and he's just like is running full tilt at uh at chris the main character and then like turns at the last second that's a freaky moment but it's also really funny and how like bizarre it is and so like yeah peel has this great comedian sense for how to go like really big uh and you know i already said this with the big sick of like having multiple muscles exercise that we're not accustomed to having exercise at the same time. Uh, and get out might be the best example of this because it's so dramatically rich. It's so interesting and it is so funny at its moments too, that it's yeah. No other movie like worked quite this muscle for me where, you know, it, it makes you think it scares you and it makes you laugh a little bit all at the same time. And that's that by itself is just a wonderful achievement. And yet it's also just like, one of the smartest, most well-acted films of the year. And it got all of America talking about it. It's, you know, it, it's a good sign that we can have a movie this 
great and well-made uh, do this well at the box office and really capture the national conversation. So, yeah, uh, for that and many other reasons, Get Out is phenomenal. It's my number five. Um, my number five is The Last Keddy. I mean Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Last Keddy? The Last Keddy. So, um, The Last Jedi is my number five. Um, uh, I, I, I saw this movie twice in the theaters. Um, and it just, it's really stuck with me. I really like, um, what's his name, Adam Driver? Uh, yes. Yes, Mini yeah. Driver's son. Is, is that? No. Is it? No? No, you lied. Um, I love, um, I love Adam Driver in this film, I think, um, that Kylo Ren is probably one of the most compelling, interesting, like accurate villains <laughs> that I've seen in, you know, a modern franchise film. Um, so he kind of made the movie for me. Um, really, really interesting. Um, I didn't know that uh, Mark Hamill could act. <laughs> I was sitting there watching it going, when did he learn to do that? I think it was like sometime in the 90s when he was doing a lot of voice acting. Um, so, yeah, that just, yeah, he was great. I love Daisy Ridley also. Um, just, uh, just a really fun, good addition to the, to the Star Wars franchise, um, for me. And, uh, that's dead, honey. You gotta plug that in. Um, <laughs> uh, Brady's trying to use my phone right now. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, really good. Enjoyed The Last Jedi, really stuck with me. Um, I don't know how they're going to make the last installment as good. And it's, I think it is going to kind of suffer from that, like, you know, la uh, the, the, the Empire Strikes Back yeah. thing where it's like, it's the best one of that trilogy. Conflict, and I, it's going to be conflict. hard to now resolve it. Uh, it's going to be hard to cool. improve upon that. Um, I guess my one criticism is that in true Disney fashion, um, you know, they can they can bend the canon of the universe, but they can't do any permanent changes. So, like to call it the Last Jedi seems disingenuous, <laughs> since um, there are still Jedi's. Spoilers. <laughs> um so like they go through this this big thing with you know luke feeling like the jedis need to go away and then decides that oh nope i was wrong they don't um when i thought it would have been really interesting if they had you know gotten rid of that whole thing and just went oh well there's no jedis now um there's just the force and what you do with it and all this prophecy stuff of always two there are and that kind of thing, you know, gets tossed out the window. But nope, they didn't do that, as one would expect. Anyway. Cool, that's, so that's your number, number five. five. Uh, my number five is uh, Phantom Thread, which Brady talked about, but I will talk a little bit about. Um, 
I, 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 okay, so I liked the whole, um, the thing I liked the most about it was that it was like a, a cyclical movie where it's like, oh, okay, you're seeing the end of uh, one cycle of the lady that he was with, and as he starts a new cycle with a new lady, and it was kind of about the destruction of that cycle. Um, basically, there's this fastidious man who uh, is very particular, and he wants things his way, and he's going to roll stuff his way, and that's it. And if you want to be with him... Uh, you can be with him for the time that he'll have you because he's a genius and everybody else should just fuck off and do what he wants. Um, and the thing is, is that she pushes back against this to the point where she disrupts his life so thoroughly that his cycle isn't able to continue and his cycle isn't able to, um, he, he basically has to get, uh, he has to take something in from the world for once. And it's just a really interesting sort of the idea of hey i get to control my own little world no because if you take so much from the world eventually the world forces you to take a little from it as well um so that's why i liked that movie and again you know i don't think paul thomas anderson uh can make a bad movie even if he was telling like a bad story his his filmmaking is always top notch and it's always very well put together so it's like you know uh, your guy's great, and, uh, he's my boy. Maybe that'll change, but I don't want to talk about these things any longer. Brady, what's your number four? Okay, my number four. <laughs> uh, my number four is the year's best documentary, and I can't believe it didn't win the Oscar, because if it had, you would have gotten to see one of the great filmmakers and one of the most adorable people on earth, uh, accepting an award that she richly deserved. And that's, uh, Agnes, Agnes Varda, um, who was a big part, I think of the French new wave cinema. She once uh, had a relationship with Jean-Luc Godard, uh, who comes up in this film. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, she's now like 90 years old. She's like the cutest, most curious, like old woman. Uh, and this documentary is about her, pairing up with a French uh, muralist who kind of his thing is he takes photos of people and makes giant murals out of them. So they decide to go around uh, the French countryside uh, interviewing kind of like blue collar rural people and they take their picture and they plaster their image up on, you know, buildings, uh, barns. And so it's this very human documentary about like, I guess, interviewing like people who get forgotten in society and it's also kind of about Varda herself, uh, kind of looking back at her life. Uh, and like the thing that comes up is this muralist JR uh, reminds her of John Luke Godard because they both wear shades. And so it's kind of about like, I don't even want to say it because it might spoil it, but it's, it's kind of about this older woman looking back at when she was young and also kind of looking forward because like this guy's a young guy now. So what are the young people of the future going to be like, what's the, the next generation going to be like. And so it's this very tender touching kind of like young person and old person on a road trip. Uh, yeah. It's just like, it's kind of the most soulful movie I saw all year and it's got a wonderful ending. I'm not going to say what it is, but it's the best ending of the year. I think, uh, yeah. Faces places. Uh, did I not say the name of it? I you did think. not. <laughs> I did yeah. not. Faces it's the best places. ending. It's a, it's a tremendous ending. It's a tremendous, it's a tremendous. <laughs> what is, is that like Mark Maron? Or? 
No, that's no, more Ira Glass. I was doing a, a Trump thing, but um, I, I couldn't hear it with Faces Places, but the better title is the one in the French, uh, which is Visage Village. <laughs> Much more fun to say. But uh, yeah, yes. great, great, great movie. Wonderful. Um, My number four is The Florida Project. Um, very interesting kind of... Uh, Italian neorealism style uh, picture, and I will let Brady discuss that when it's his turn because I know it's coming up, and um, I I don't know if I have a lot to say. It's my number four. It's not not coming up. My number four is Wind River, which unfortunately bopped uh, that other movie I rather like, Good Time, off the list completely. <laughs> 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 Because, you know, I didn't do a ranking where, you know, it's like, oh, well, this one slides in here, so everybody gets kicked down one. No, I just wrote down all the movies I'd seen from this year and then put numbers next to them. (laughs) (laughs) And this is how my ranking system works. Uh, Because I just, uh, I was upset uh, before we started this, and now I'm not. So I'm enjoying this now. But Wind River (laughs) is not something that uh that you will enjoy uh other than that it's a good mo- it's a very good movie it's a very hard watch i think i recall calling brady right after it and going like that's probably the most difficult watch for me since monster's ball that and it is that level of like oh that's how visceral and cerebral it is there's a a little bit of white saviorhood in it um but it's not entirely that bad uh it is kind of you know white guys trying to solve the mystery and blah blah blah, blah, blah native american blah, 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 blah. but um you know other than that uh it was a fantastic movie very well acted um it's it's uh it's almost like put together like a like a murder mystery where they show you the end at the beginning and then you know they uncover the thing and it's kind of a it's a journey through um native american reservations and showing, like, basically just the desolation that's left behind um, after, you know, Western colonialism and how that persists to this day. And I think it does a, a pretty good job of representing it's just like, look, you know, there's just, you know, it, the the deck is stacked against us. There's no way way out for any of us. And who are you to judge, like, how bad it's gotten here on this reservation? So... Um, very good movie. Highly recommend it. I don't think it was watched by that many, and I don't think it got any real buzz about it. Um, but it was really good. So, yeah. Cool. I think, I it's, s- highly, I think it's highly rated by critics and stuff on Metacritic, and yeah, the reviews and, uh, are good. And yeah, it's just it just it fell through the cracks, I guess. I mean, but you know, people saw it. My my family saw it. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, you know, Weinstein. Uh. <laughs> Don't say it three times or he'll appear <laughs> in a bathrobe. No. I'd rather have Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> Did show someone up. say Weinstein? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, nightmares. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, Brady, what's your number three? Uh, my number three. Man, I think you guys are sleeping on this one. It is Call Me By Your Name. Uh, and yeah, first off, as Tess said, the most lush movie of the year easily like the just this is lush like someone has bottled lushness 
This movie is a big bottle of apricot juice. Uh, it's set in the 80s in Italy as a uh, the son of a professor, of a, a like a classical Greek sculpture professor, is summering in Italy as they do. And the professor's new aide for the summer is played by Army Hammer. He's come to kind of study under his wing. And it's actually basically a love story. Not basically, it is a love story. Uh, it's about him falling in love, discovering his sexuality, and kind of having this at first testy relationship that blossoms into a romance with this young grad student. And so it's about, like, first and foremost, you know, finding one's sexuality, but it's also just about, like, the feeling of that perfect summer. It's just, like, the most perfect summer of your youth that you can imagine, just, like, bottled into this movie, the texture of this thing. It's just like music and food. And also like riding bikes, trying to get to Riding Berkeley. bikes, dancing, drinking, swimming down at the river. It's just a movie about like just luscious sensations. And uh, beyond that, it is the performance of the year, uh, I think, is uh, young Timothy Chalamet uh, playing the role of Elio Perlman. Uh, I think this is like young De Niro level stuff. We're going to look back at this because I think this kid's going to have a fantastic career. Knock on wood. Uh, there's some wood. <laughs> but yeah, this performance is amazing, I think. This is like such a dialed in, tuned in, uh, interesting, uh, prickly depiction of a young person uh, you know, discovering love for the first time. Uh, so yeah, no, I think this movie, I just like want to watch it again just to get wrapped up in it. It's just a beautiful thing to look at, which I think, I think this is important. I said a similar thing about Mudbound when I reviewed it is like the filmmaking, the level of filmmaking and detail is so like universally appealing to watch something with this much sweep to it. And like Mudbound, I think that's important because we're putting good messages in this case, more representation of gay people into a package that like anyone who sees this, I think is going to love it just for like how, beautiful it feels you know they're gonna like oh italy like it's so gorgeous and while they're doing that they're gonna be you know i don't want to say it like it's taking medicine but i think it's good to have something this well made also have that gay representation inside of it uh yeah i think call me by your name is a masterpiece amazing amazing tess what is your number three uh my number three is get out um, it's the best, out. the best documentary of the year. Oh, salty. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag salty pretzels. All right. So my number three is the disaster artist. Um, it was a bright light, uh, in a dark place for me, uh, surrounded. And that light was Tommy was surrounded. Yeah. By, by TV monitors and just wanting to not be in that room anymore, but I had to be, and I had my phone and my Plex Pass, and it saved me, and it made me laugh, and it made my life feel livable for those brief hours that I needed it to. <laughs> Sometimes okay? I hate my job. <laughs> At any rate. Um, I really liked it. it. It was really funny, and um, it. I I um I like the character of a person who's just like, dude, you're terrible. You're terrible. You're ter well. Fuck it. I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna be terrible. 
because I'm me and I'm just going to do it. I, you know, regardless of how much there are people in the world who do that, uh, who have negatively affected our lives so badly, um, I think Tommy Wiseau doing that is one of the people who should. So, yeah. <laughs> Good number three movie. Brady, what's your number two? He's inspirational. Not all heroes can act. Um, my number two, and, and Tess said this uh, to me, and I'm going to agree with this. This is the movie on my list that could very easily be my number one. Um, it could be my number one uh, in a few years' time because my lists are always changing. Uh, but, like, these two, like, I feel so strongly about that, like, they're just, like, they make the year. Can I say something? Yeah. In 10 years' time, uh, damn, I was going okay, to say past. something funny, but uh, I lost mm. it. Sorry. Maybe you'll remember <laughs> in 10 years. Yeah. Um, no, okay, so my number uh, two, uh, and I'll say this, I think it's the best directed film of the year, uh, is The Florida Project. It's beautiful. Uh, as Tess said, it's Italian neorealism, but what makes it fascinating is it's neorealism and then something that's like so the opposite of neorealism because it's so potent and stylishly directed and it's it's really really well acted like case in point the good way to, to illustrate this is you've got a bunch of people who are, who weren't professional actors you know the uh the character playing the mother because a quick bit of background this is about the uh, city of Kissimmee, florida just outside of disney world uh, and it's kind of this rundown strip mall kind of a place. It all takes place at this flea bag motel where people are just living on the fringe. Um, and it's about this this little girl who thinks of this world as like wonderful. It's like an adventure land for her. But she lives with a young mother who's kind of not exactly fit to take care of her. And so it's about their life. And so the character who plays the mother, who I think does a great job, uh, she's just like an Instagram star. That's how... You know, they came upon her. As she, I don't even know what she does on Instagram, but, uh, but she that's her. She takes selfies. And she so, takes cute selfies and gets likes. That's yeah. what you do on Instagram. Okay, yeah. Cute <laughs> selfies and likes. Um, and so you've got someone like that, and then you've got someone like Willem Dafoe giving, like, hands down the performance of his career, I would say. Um, and so it's all wrapped up together, neorealism and, like, very potent acting and this, I think, would all fall apart if you didn't have a director with this much command. Uh, that would be Sean Baker. Uh, his last film, Tangerine, was entirely shot on iPhone. He's graduated to a bigger camera, but iPhone he has... iPhone 4, even. iPhone 4, excuse you. Wow. Um, uh, so, you know, graduated to bigger tools, but has this great sense of just, like, crackling, bristling energy. Uh, has this affection for people kind of living on the edges of society who don't normally get movies made about them. And so this thing is just like, it's just one. It's about like the wonder of childhood, but also about these harsher economic realities. Uh, I think, you know, other than Faces Places, I think this has the ending of the year for me. A really powerful, just gut punch of an ending. And Brooklyn Prince, holy shit. Uh, greatest child performance I've seen in a long, 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 she long made me cry. time. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I had a feeling watching it for the second time that uh, I'm going to trace back to watching Little Mermaid as a kid 
where it's like a moment in a movie is coming that's so like uncomfortably powerful that I start to sweat. (laughs) As the end of this movie approached, I was like sweating. I'm like, oh, oh God. (laughs) And like, I seriously like, I didn't so much cry as like water in the exact shape of my eyeball filled up my eyeball and then like (laughs) fell out. Like, you you were crying happened. giant Ghibli tears. Yeah, That's what you were giant doing. Giant Ghibli tears. Uh, no, the, yeah, this movie is just amazing, and like, just the sheer energy of it, uh, the empathy of it, it's just beautiful. Uh, yeah, everything about this, it, it looks gorgeous, uh, while still having the gritty feel that suits its, you know, uh, ramshackle uh, environment. Uh, yeah, and just yeah, God, what a great movie. <laughs> You haven't talked about your boy. Willem Dafoe? Yeah. I said he gives the performance of his career. Uh, I thought you'd maybe say more about him. Uh, I don't know. He is... You you love him so much. He's the most (laughs) wonderful... uh, Willem Dafoe plays the motel manager who's kind of got this gruff affection for these kids that are running wild around the place. And so I think, yeah, you know, he's fantastic. He's, He's the surrogate and he's our surrogate because... We're in his position of loving these people, but only being able to do so much to help them, uh, which I think is kind of the tragedy of his character is uh, yeah. a, a completely unbelievably empathetic person, but uh, limited in, in what he can do uh, within his tiny little corner of the world. And man, that tiny corner of the world becomes a, a universe in this movie, uh, which is, yeah, Anyway, I've talked about What enough. I thought was interesting Sheer too is that like he's one of the only professional actors like in Yeah, exactly. The movie. It's, everyone else is a non-professional doing great work. But it doesn't look like it doesn't feel weird. Like yeah, no, he it, feels very natural. Exactly. Ab- and like, like in the same way that What they I was are. saying with like Baker graduating to the bigger tools too is like uh, what impresses me most is how you know, like a painter, he knows how to blend this stuff. Like, this stuff could have been jarring, very easily should have been jarring. And so what's really impressive is just, like, the unbelievable command of tone. You know, to, to blend those styles, to blend a, a heartwarming childhood story and a completely bleak economic hardship story together. Everything about this is so perfectly balanced. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. There's a movie. shot in it I just want to kind of mention, too, is that that really sticks with me. Um when they're walking around the upper story balcony thing, like the upper hallway, and the camera's just tracking these kids, and then the then the camera starts to, like, zoom in, um, which it feels, like, really out of place to me in, you know, uh, any other kind of film. You don't you don't zoom in unless it's a nature documentary and it just really stuck out at me as like kind of like it almost felt kind of amateurish but like I but it but it wasn't like you know I don't do you remember the shot that I'm talking about I think I do is it when yeah, they're looking at the woman at the pool zoom. yeah I think that's what they're Bobby's doing boobies. they're watching the lady zoom, in the pool you move the camera, you move the camera right so but but I don't know if he had you know the ability to you know, get a get a crane, like get up in a in a cherry picker or a dolly or whatever you would do to get that shot like you normally would. So he was clearly just on the other side of the the hotel also up on that, you know, with the camera following them and then zooming in as they move to get the shot that he want and I wanted and I just right. like thought that was really really interesting. 
Oh, uh, fun fact. This is the favorite movie of the year of Drake. Oh. <laughs> Drake loves the Florida Project. My favorite movie of the year. Yeah. It's the best movie of the year. Yeah. <laughs> it's making my life real clear. Uh. <laughs> is that how he raps? Yeah, pretty much. He kind of sings a lot, but then he then he uses the same related thread line. Uh, same thing every line. Uh, I and, I like Drake a lot actually. He's fine. <laughs> He's very good. I don't want to express some popular <laughs> opinions, Bombi. <laughs> uh, Tess, so uh, you're number two. Number two. My number two is The Big Sick. Um, I really, really liked this movie. Brady already said, um, you know, a lot about it that was eloquent and, and perfect. But um, it was, it's such an emotional roller coaster, this this mm-hmm. movie. Like, it's funny, and then, and then you're, like, crying. Like, I was trying, you were rewatching it, and I was trying to read, and I kept getting distracted because, like, every scene is so good. Like, I was just I like, I couldn't focus on um, on learning to be a dungeon master <laughs> because because uh, I was just kept like, st- oh, this scene's great. This scene's great. Oh, he's so funny. Oh, this line is really good. Oh, now now he's like, you know, telling his parents, and now I'm like crying, like, you know. And I I like tried to like leave the room during that scene where like she breaks up with him because I it was like it's too it's too emotional, like it's too emotionally devastating to watch. I've always wanted to have a conversation about nine eleven. <laughs> You've never talked to someone about nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and Kumail Nanjiani is like so, so good and perfect in this, playing himself. <laughs> like it's just—he's really good. He, I, I think he's I getting wonder, undervalued. Actually, I wonder watching that too, like you know how, how accurate a depiction of his real self is that? You know, like I, I watching that, I wonder, like is he is he playing up like kind of his like goofiness and yeah, I don't know awkwardness. Oh, one like, thing how is... much how much of that is him adding like at adding that in um in terms of plot there's one bit of license it takes and i think it's really good that it does because it makes it more powerful uh, but apparently they had uh they were not broken up when she went into a coma in real life oh yeah it makes it so much better yeah like yeah completely that's that's the whole the whole suspense of the movie is that they're broken up when when he when she goes into the coma and then you know you you're watching him um like try and earn her win her back while she's asleep you know and you're oh she he so earned this like he's so earned to have her forgive him and she is not awake (laughs) and she doesn't know what happened and he is not in a position where you know like he can't tell her like no but wait i earned i earned your love <laughs> i earned it back you know like and that the movie do- like wh- one of the things i really did like about that is that the movie doesn't say that 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 he does like you feel you know like that that he maybe should have earned her back but then when she rejects him he doesn't he doesn't say anything he just respects that and leaves yeah. <laughs> which is something that every movie every romance film should should depict um you know you can't you can't earn 
love in that way. Like if if she breaks up with him, he he doesn't get the opportunity to go. No, but wait, let me hang around until you realize. <laughs> you know. And if she had been, you know, awake and just sick, he probably wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to hang out with her parents like that. True that. Um, All right. We got to go yeah. to Rob. Uh, oh, hey. could, yes. No, I'm sorry. We could talk about the big Do My number two. My number two. My number two. Oh, what's number done? two. Fine, my number whatever. two. Wait, wait, no, no. Okay, hold on, hold on. Well, now I don't know what I was going to say. No, I'm sorry. We, but we can't, like, we have to, like... <laughs> Yeah, we're at a minute or a, a minute 43 now. So, you know, we've been, I mean, an hour 43 now. Two hour podcast. Yeah. Fine. That's why go. we should have done 10. Yeah, I agree. Brady just wanted it <laughs> to be movies. long so that when he gets, when he listens back, it, it yeah, I just want to have is long <laughs> for <laughs> him. Well, you know, I listen to my own. We do three <laughs> rankings a year. So, you know. Bit a bit a boo. Yeah, it's the anyway. it's the special. It's the yearly special. The My number two case. is Mudbound, which I really loved, and it has been talked about a bunch already. Um, awesome. And I like how it. Uh, spoiler full podcast didn't end entirely catastrophic. I mean, it was well, it was pretty catastrophic. <laughs> pretty harrowing. It was it was pretty bad, but uh, um, you <laughs> on know. second thought, actually, well, I mean, he got to go to Paris and like find his son, and I would have felt, uh, I felt, I feel like the movie should have ended no other way. I would have felt like, uh, it was more punishment beyond punishment if you know, Pappy hadn't been killed and and like the 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 black soldier was instead yeah so um yeah no you guys talked about it you guys got i actually didn't mudbound's not on my list because i didn't watch the whole thing you guys better i saw it i know what it's about and what happens but like i didn't sit and engage with it anyway in part because it's so hard to watch really good (laughs) i thought uh the mise-en-scene was amazing i thought it viscerally um and even the sound, uh, too, like this, this, you know, not entirely, not very much score, right? And it just uh, kind of filled you with with the impending sense of dread that, that so many of the characters were feeling. Um, very, just very visceral, like gobsmacking film, uh, you know. So I liked it. It actually does have a really good score, but it's like it uses it sparingly. It, it doesn't it well, use it at all. The, use it all the time. Like it's less about the music and more about having this like muddy yeah. feeling. Yeah. It's like very low, like bluesy music. Hmm. And then one learns the piano too, and the piano plays like a nice symbolic set piece oh. right. of order in, in her life amidst all this chaos that was caused by just, you know, poor planning or getting had or you know She's uh, like can't lose the piano. Since the fathers, you know. Any rate, uh that's my number two. All right, we've reached number one. Number Good job, one. guys. Um, I love you. I love you too. Uh, okay, so my number one is Ladybird, uh, because uh, and by way of explanation, because uh, Rob's already put this on his list. Uh, so Ladybird is great. It's a coming-of-age high school film set at a Catholic high school in Sacramento. It's essentially... In 2003. In 2003. It is essentially Greta Gerwig's autobiography. 
her directorial debut, Greta Gerwig, from already 2002 to 2003. Already an actress who I think should have an Oscar for acting. Now I think she should also have one for directing. She doesn't have either, but patience, patience, we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, so it's great. It is the both the warmest movie and my favorite comedy of the year. Uh, it's just so perfectly funny, kind of in that big sick vein where, you know, like I said, this is the damp face movie. I just watched this movie like oscillating between laughing my ass off and like having tears in my eyes from the emotion. So, you know, it's, it's just like a good feeling. You just sit there completely engaged with the characters. This is actually, I think, the best ensemble of the year acting wise. Uh, everyone in this is pitch perfect. I would have given both Laurie Metcalf and Saoirse Ronan the Oscars. I think they're the best performances by women this year. Uh, but also, you know, Tracy Letts as the father is great. Uh, Timothy Chalamet shows up in another great movie this year to give a, a really good comedic performance. Uh, yeah, this movie. But like oh, yeah, what I was going to say. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, what I was going to say is I've heard that the latest project Gerwig is slated to direct is Little Women. Little Woman is not only a formative text for me as the first major novel of substance I read, but I've recently concluded it is the key to my entire how I watch film. It's the reason I love the Linklater pieces. It it totally explains my approach to what I love about character, where you, know, you have vignettes. Uh, one of the things, I'm not the first person to say this, but I think this is bang on, is someone pointed out, like, what's great about Lady Bird is... Not every scene is the same length. So you get scenes that are just like a few seconds long because they make their point. And so, you know, some vignettes are long and they tell a big tale and others are just like, oh, yeah. And this one time like this happened. And yeah. so like it's a good variety <laughs> uh, of pacing, I would say, of just like kind of introducing you to these characters. There are moments that mean a lot in the grand scheme and then just moments that are kind of played for comedy. They're just small things. And so, yeah, basically to bring it back when I heard Gerwig was directing little women. Uh, I think that is the most perfect marriage of source material and director I could imagine. And I say that because I've seen lady bird and it, it's so that very same thing. Uh, so yeah, this is just, this was just the warmest, most wonderful film of the year. That was and, almost an Oscar speech, Brady. <laughs> I'm sorry. And yeah. I'm done. Um, my number one is also lady bird. Um, a a very uh, close to home nostalgia piece for me um, since I did grow up in Sacramento and um, I graduated in 2002 and she graduated in 2003. Um, so just watching this was like kind of, it was kind of a fucking trip. Like, <laughs> and you know you can see like her love of the area in the film and they you know they make a point to point that out but it would have been obvious whether the nun had called her out like that or not <laughs> um that she you know she just loves that city <laughs> so much and you can tell and like i don't know and then she uh she went to, she didn't go to my high school. They do shout out Sack High, though, because um, her brother went there and saw somebody get stabbed, <laughs> which I'm not sure actually happened. I think that's kind of part of the joke. It's like, wait, really? Is that just a tall tale? I'm, I mean, it might be, um, but he's older than her, so he would have gone to Sack High and, like, 
the nineties. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe that did happen then. I don't yeah, know. maybe it did. But I went there the same year as she would have been in high school and uh, nobody ever got stabbed, okay? <laughs> Just throwing that out there. No, yeah, it's so the thing of like, oh, my friend saw someone with a knife. Yeah, exactly. Like, I watched him get stabbed. Yeah, right. Like my brother, my brother brought a Leatherman tool to school <laughs> and fixed some school property. Turns into like, he pulled it out in class and stabbed a kid. <laughs> I heard he cut off a teacher's face. Yeah. I want to take his face yeah. off. I want to take his face. It's a ladybird. <laughs> um. So yeah, this was it. Was just such a ride watching this and like you know. Um, I still love that line. <laughs> like, uh, so what is your given name, Ladybird? I, I, gave, I gave it, it to myself. myself. <laughs> it was given to me by, by me. me. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and like, yeah, it's a movie that's largely vignettes of like her senior year of high school and applying to colleges and things. And I swear to God, that kid was Seth. <laughs> Did she know him? Oh, man. And can I just say how perfect the high school play is? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. They show bits of like that, what that Sondheim musical. Yeah. What even was it? They never tell you what it is. I think it's supposed to be a not very good musical. It's, I, no, I know what it is. It's called Merrily We Roll Along. I think. But they never say what it is at any point in the movie. Like, you're just like, what is that? I've never seen that. But, like, (laughs) it's so high school where, like, you can tell, like, the people of, like, starkly differing talents, like, all on a stage together. Yep. Yeah. True. Um, Yeah. Um, I don't know. I should have a ton to say. It was great to see. It was uh, great and surreal and weird to see, like, the town I grew up in, like, in in a movie at all because <laughs> you know you're used to seeing like new york and the la countryside <laughs> and uh i don't it was it was just it was a romp it was a ride it was a nostalgia piece crash into me. me yeah oh yeah they they're playing crash into me in the car, best use of a song in films <laughs> <laughs> what is what's that thing that she she said that people have what, but they don't believe in God. What was <laughs> what was that line? Oh, I forget. People do something or other, but they don't believe in God. I can't remember. <laughs> can't remember how it goes, but yeah, lots of great lines that I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, Lady Bird. I could talk about this movie, but I won't. Go ahead. My number one, mostly to piss off Brady. Yay! Is okay. uh. You see, I have to shout it because it's, it's it's spelled lower. Oh God, I know what it Mother! is. <laughs> Mother, because <laughs> it has an exclamation mark. Exactly. Uh, mother, <laughs> uh, mother, the deeply metaphorical um, uh, God, uh, God creation, mother creation, son, daughter, beginning in the Bible story. That's also about just yeah, one of them. act in itself. I knew no one was going to talk about Classic. this. I knew no one was going to be interested in it at all. But I think in several years from now that we all will we'll be. We'll have forgotten about Mother. It's my number 20. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't That's... hate it. I, but I don't hate it, but I think it's like a great movie and a bad movie. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, there, there are parts of it that are bad. I mean, 
like uh, there are parts of it that are bad. It, well, if there if El Topo is like a great movie, it's also a bad one. And you know, if the Holy Mountain, which we did uh, on episode number seven, I think, um, then you know that there's that too. You know what I mean? Like I know what you mean. There's, uh, you know. No, I mean, like, my my main <laughs> criticism of the movie was like a lot of it is like metaphor. So it's like, oh, yeah, like you could see like the biblical allusions like and like this is a metaphor for like the earth or for an artist. Dharma and then at a, a Yeah. And then at a certain point, like Kristen Wiig shows up and is like executing people in the living room. It's like, and this is a metaphor for executing people. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is no longer a metaphor. This is just actually. Yeah, happening. no, then it's just well, like, wait, how do you feel about that? I don't know. Weird. I don't know. Weird. <laughs> Kristen Wiig shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, for some reason, for some reason, I think that should have been Sarah Huckabee, Huckabee Sanders doing that. Huckabee. Huckabee. <laughs> Hi, my little Huckabee. I heart that's, Huckabees. That's the pillow talk between me and so, my ex. At any rate, um, Sarah Huckabee yes, Sanders. No, that, that's my number one uh, because somebody had to say it was their number one and it had to be me. <laughs> I guess it had to be you. It had to be me. Uh, Brady. I think it's Ross's number one. Oh, wait. No, I'm the last person. Who You're goes. the last. Okay, cool. Well. Good night, everybody. Uh, yeah, we uh, do a thing where I play a blah. And uh, Grandy, you were missed. Grandy, send us a list. Same song. Crank it. Bitch. Um, if I can't watch Milo and Otis while eating a cat steak, then I don't want to live. <laughs>